Well, good morning. It's uh, a privilege to be here, and um, for those who don't know me, just a brief background, I live in uh, Inverness up in Cape Breton. Uh, I'm not from there, though. Uh, I'm from Ontario, and uh, we moved there in April of 2015 after having uh, been directed by the Lord to uh, get involved in some church planning in Cape Breton. And I wanted to share uh, with you this morning, I have a presentation uh, to share with you, and we'll have a little bit of the word to go with it, but I wanted to share this with you for a number of reasons. One is to encourage you that the Lord is doing something in the Maritimes. And uh, sometimes I know I've only been here for a year and a half, but sometimes uh, I've, I've, I've heard uh, I've heard people say, well, you know, not much happens down here and we're kind of out of the way and, you know, we're low in population and, and so on. And that's true, but, you know, the Lord is doing things uh, in our region and we want to be encouraged by that together uh, because the Lord is still building his church. And I'm encouraged by the fact that the Lord Jesus said, I will build my church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, you know, when we first came to the town of Inverness, uh, let, me, let me see a show of hands. Who was born in Cape Breton? <laughs> okay. How many people, not including those two, how many have lived in Cape Breton? We know those guys have, yeah. <laughs> okay. So Inverness is a coal mining town on the West Coast. It's uh, a lot of poverty, a lot of brokenness, and a lot of hopelessness, and really in a, a constant state of decline from the early 1990s up to the, a couple of years ago. And when uh, you know, people would really turn their nose up at Inverness. You know, it's, it's kind of dumpy, it's run down, there's, there's no hope for this town, and yet the Lord is doing something there. We'll come to that. So we want to be encouraged, we want to know what the Lord is doing in our region, but also, you know, a couple of other things. One is, is to put this uh, thought in your mind about church planting. And I'll confess to you that for most of my Christian life, it's not something I ever considered. It's not something I thought about. Uh, most of my focus and the focus of the churches that I was involved with was mostly inward focused. We were never thinking about that kind of you know, expansion. I mean, that was for a day gone by, but not today. And I'm here to tell you that's just not true. The Lord is still advancing and he's still going places. And so the third thing, perhaps, that you know, might even the Lord burden you with today is you know, what would he have you to do in your family, in your community, in your region to be reaching out to people as we think about this? So before I begin, let's seek the Lord's help. Father, we just want to thank you for our time together today. Lord, we bless you. We thank you, Father, uh, for the family of God. And Lord, as we would just, uh, uh, just share together, Lord, in what you're doing in Cape Breton, Lord, I just pray that your name would be glorified. I pray, Lord, you would just encourage our hearts together and that you would speak to us, Lord, as only you can do. So, Father, we're just committing this time to you, and we're asking, Lord, for a blessing, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this is uh, Inverness um, Beach, where we live, uh, facing down back towards this way, of course, on the other side. We have a beautiful beach in Inverness. So let's go. Oh, sorry, I've got the controller. <laughs> right. Okay, I'll put this down for a moment. Let's see. Does this work? Is it the, this one? There we go. Okay, well, you guys all know this, but I've used this presentation in other places, and some people don't know where Cape Breton is, and, and actually, until 2012, I didn't know where Cape Breton is. I'm sorry. Uh, it's no offense. But I really, I mean, I was, in, I was down, you know, in uh, the uh, southern end of the province, or that end, the eastern, southeastern end. I was in the military in 1984. I did my basic training in Cornwallis. 
That was the last time I was in the Maritimes. Fast forward to 2012, I was over in Prince Edward Island and I met uh, Hugh Morrison, who some of you know from Cape Breton, and he talked to me about Cape Breton. I'm Cape Breton, Cape Breton, I, I think I've heard of that. Where is it? Well, you know where it is, so we don't need to point that out to you. There we go. So I have a question for you, and you're allowed to answer this. Um, what do these following countries have in common? <clears throat> Anybody, if you know, except for the folks from my, my clan. <laughs> Some interesting countries there. We have China, Egypt, Pakistan, Sudan, Mongolia, Mexico, Indonesia, Kuwait, the UAE. This is also in Verness Beach, by the way, looking up the coast towards Shetty Camp. Yeah, <laughs> no. All of these countries have more Christians as a percentage of the population than Cape Breton Island. All of these countries, and look at that list. Okay, Pakistan, as a percentage, has a higher percentage of their population that would claim to be born again Christians than does Cape Breton Island. Cape Breton is a mission field in Canada, and uh, a lot of Canadians are completely unaware of that, as I was less than 1% uh, would claim to be born again. Out of 147,000 people on the island, uh, you know, we might be lucky to see a thousand of those attending churches on a Sunday across the entire island. It is an unreached area. Uh, 75% of our communities have no evangelical church whatsoever, and making it very much like the Republic of Ireland. And Operation Mobilization says, according to their research, that if you have less than 5% of your population that's born again, you will need outside help to evangelize your area. And so that's kind of the situation that we're facing in Cape Breton, a really unreached area and many areas, uh, especially around from here, which is Pleasant Bay, all the way around to English Town, not one single evangelical church. And for uh, the Christians who live in these regions, who've been there their whole lives, they're not even aware of any Christians in those regions. That's not to say that there aren't, but we're not aware of any. So a vision was developed, which we call Cape Breton for Christ, and that includes a vision to plant a church in every significant community around the Cabot Trail and, our, and the Cayley Trail, which is, is along the west coast, back to the causeway. That's our vision. And uh, there's been three church plants so far. We're going to talk about each of these. The Bedeck was the first one in 2010, Shetty Camp in 12, and Inverness, which is where I am, in 2015. Uh, we already have our next focus. Up the Cabot Trail is Dingwall and Pierre Chasson, who some of you know is already reaching out into that community. And our, on our side, on the Cayley Trail, is Port Hood. That's a half hour to the south, and we are planning outreach there beginning in the new year. So just a quick map of the island. So up here you'll see Marguerite kind of in the top center in yellow. And that's kind of the, the, uh, the mother church is Marguerite Valley Baptist Church where Hugh Morrison pastors. Uh, up until 2010, they were the only evangelical witness in most of Inverness County, which runs from the causeway to Cape North. On that half of the island, we have about 25,000 residents. Of course, most live in, in Sydney. And uh, the vision started in Marguerite. Bedeck was planted here in the center, then Shetty Camp, then Inverness. And the blue, uh, the blue boxes are the, the next three communities that we're targeting for church planting in Cape Breton. <clears throat> I just want to share quickly with you who the pioneers of this vision were, uh, Hugh and Tracy Morrison, who some of you know, uh, up at Marguerite Valley Baptist. Marguerite Church has been there for, uh, as a congregation since 1835. 
So they've been around uh, for a long time. That's the fourth building built in 1904. Um, but Hugh and Tracy is kind of where the, the vision came. Uh, Hugh was born in, the, in Cape Breton. Uh, he went away for a few years. He's been back for 15 years. And so he's, uh, he's uh, a local. <laughs> And the, the Chasson, uh, Pierre and Marie, uh, Marie, for those of you who know, passed away just five weeks ago today from cancer. Uh, but Pierre is born and raised, and uh, I kind of like to tease him. Like, to me, he's just like a classic Kate Bretner. I mean, this guy just, you know, he just oozes it, you know. Uh, he's been around. He got saved in the mid-'70s. He's been reaching out for many years in these communities, and he's up in Shetty Camp uh, recently. So we began in Bedeck in 2010, but it began before that. I mean, how did we get to a church plant? What is the process for this? And I want to share this with you because it is possible even in our day. And really, as we think about the vision for Cape Breton and what's happening there, it really doesn't make sense. Okay. There's lots of uh, mission organizations out there and church planning organizations that have targets and they target uh, certain areas of the country, you know, for growth, like Montreal is a huge focus, Toronto, and possibly even Halifax. You know, in, in little regions like ours where we have towns of 900 people and 3,300 people, that's really not anybody, on anybody's focus. And, and most people would look at it and say, well, you can't be planting new churches in these, these small communities because it's just not going to work. You don't have the numbers. There's no people there. How, how on earth are you going to do that? Bedeck began in 2003 with eight months of prayer. Every Friday for two hours, they would gather in the town of Bedeck with one Christian family that lived there, and they would just cry out to God to do something in this town. And you know, beloved, that's where we need to be if we're going to see the Lord move. You know, we've lost, I believe, as Christians, the power of prayer and waiting upon God. And we need to be crying out to him. And this work began with eight months of just prayer. Gospel meetings followed in the parish hall. I don't think the Catholics knew what they were up to. <laughs> But they rented the parish hall, began gospel meetings in around 2004 and 5, about once a month they would hold a gospel meeting. Bible studies and homes began. Children's outreaches were conducted, an alpha course was run in the town. Eventually that led to meetings every other week in the fire hall during these years leading up to 2008, and teams from the United States would come up from various churches to support this outreach with a VBS. And so... Uh, Churches primarily in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Louisiana actually target Nova Scotia as their missions outreach area. And for some of these folks who have Cajun background, of course, they're directly tied to the Acadians of Nova Scotia, and some of them trace their roots directly from here. And so they're very interested in helping uh, reach into Cape Breton and into these areas. In 2008, Hugh attended a dynamic church planning international training session in Toronto, and for the first time in his life, he heard this thing about planting churches, and it had never occurred to him before. When they first went into Bedak, their sole purpose was to reach out and see people saved and one for the Lord, but they had no plans for a church, really, or, or what to do. Bedak is about a half an hour from Marguerite, and it began, this, this thought uh, occurred to him, and he says, yes, why, why couldn't we plant churches? And not only that, but in, in Cape Breton, I mean, churches are closing every year by, you know, more than one. Like every year, there's several old line Presbyterians, United Churches, all kinds of, you know, those old places are closing. And, and so he was burdened by seeing all these closures. And, and, and yet, why can't, we, why can't we start to think about that? And that's where the, the vision began to take shape, that we can reach this island for the Lord. 
And instead of just reaching out, let's think about planning a church. And I know that I myself in the past, um, I visited Cape Breton for the first time in 2013. At the time, I was a, a, an itinerant preacher um, traveling around mostly Ontario. Um, and when I visited Cape Breton and, and Hugh kind of shared with me this vision, I thought to myself, well, you know, that would be really cool to come down here and do a gospel outreach. But I really didn't think beyond that, you know, because what do you do with those folks, right? If we go into town with a team and we preach the gospel, we see people say, praise the Lord, then what? Do we just leave them there by themselves, right? So the church was formally established in 2010 after seven to eight years of investment. There was a lot of efforts that went into this town. It didn't happen overnight as they waited on the Lord. Uh, Phil McCormick was called to uh, lead that work, and they became self-sufficient in one year. What I mean by that is that they required no financial support from the mother church. So in the first 12 months, they were on their own and off and running. They met in the fire hall uh, every week until moving into the, to a resort just this past year, uh, a rented space, a beautiful space they have on the water, and they are currently reaching into the Goose Cove area. They were up there this summer with uh, uh, teams for the, for the kids, and they're also planning to reach out into a nearby native community. So that was Badek, 2010, and everyone was encouraged with that. I mean, within the first couple of years, they shot up and hit almost 80 people. And so this, this vision that, yes, we can, in fact, plant churches. I mean, I remember growing up, and I met a guy, I don't know if you've ever heard of John Martin, and John was from southwestern Ontario, and, and John was, he, he passed away just a few years ago. He was over 100 years old. And John, I think, was responsible, it was involved in the raising of 50 assemblies in Ontario over his lifetime. He was a church planner. And, you know, again, I would look back on that and say, well, that was back then. We can't do that anymore. It's not true. Shetty Camp was next on the list. Shetty Camp is the heart of Acadian culture in, in Cape Breton Island. It is a stronghold of the Church of Rome, a town of about 3,300 people. Beautiful place, if you've ever been there. Um, and a, an unlikely place <laughs> to try an evangelical church. Pierre established a Bible study in the 1980s in this town. And uh, Pierre likes music, as most Cape Bretoners do, and he loves to do outdoor gospel concerts on the main street, and he was doing door-to-door -door work, visitation, and, and outdoor preaching, and tons of things for decades in this town. This didn't happen overnight. However, based on this vision that began to form that we can actually plant churches, viable churches, weekly meetings were established in 2011 in Shetty Camp. Again, support with teams from the USA to run VBS programs. And in 2012, the church was formally established as a community church in this town. Uh, Pierre uh, heads up that work. And uh, they met in the Kinsman Hall until 2015. Uh, they also operate a kids club during the school season. And um, they moved into their own building in the fall of just, just a year ago. And so what happened was this church, which began in 2012, uh, within three years, they had $40,000 in the building fund. Incredible for a group of 30 to 40 people. Um, and a property came up for sale in the town. And it was 19 acres, overlooks the, the ocean, it's beautiful. It has an old car garage, like a two-bay service station. And uh, the owner was asking $115,000. Well, it sat there and it sat there, and he dropped the price to $90,000. And they said, you know what, we have forty. let's offer it. And he took it. Within the next 18 months, $90,000 came in from donors, and they entered their own building with no debt whatsoever. So four years, 
Shetty Camp Church now has at least 40 people plus on Sundays. In fact, they're now talking of expansion in the summertime. It's standing room only. They have 60 to 70 showing up. And they're already talking about after only one year, we need to expand the sanctuary. We don't have enough space. And they don't have any debt whatsoever, and they're completely self-sufficient within four years. It took them to get to self-sufficiency. And this is in a Catholic stronghold. Um, a steeple project. This, I just wanted to mention this. You know, I mean, the one thing I've learned, had to learn, we'll talk a bit about it at the end, is cultural sensitivity. I mean, I come from Ontario, Unterrible, as some people in the, as some people in the Maritimes like to say, but we're not all that bad. <laughs> just the people from Toronto, no offense. <clears throat> just kidding. Um, it, you know, for, for Catholic people, it, it means something to them. And, and we've had comments in the past uh, that it's not a legitimate church unless it has a steeple. And so in response to that, an anonymous donor this spring, probably from the U.S., gave $11,000 to the church to put a steeple on that building so that the Catholic people of the town will acknowledge it and say, yes, it is a church. It's relevant to them. It means something to them. And so we're going to go ahead and do that. Uh, they've been reaching into the Cape North Dingwall area for a couple of years now, holding uh, meetings every other Sunday night. They have a gathering of about 20 in that region, and yet it's a good drive. Even up the coast here, you have to go up over the highlands, and uh, you know from Shetty Camp, it's probably a 45-minute drive to get up there, and it's difficult in the winter. It's kind of an isolated community. And so... Um, uh, they're going to start the focus this fall of meeting every week. But again, we, we, we need laborers to come into Cape Breton to, to lead that work. We, you know, we're stretched too thin. Pierre can't go up there and, you know, and, and help them establish a church every week if he's looking after something else in another town. And so we need laborers, but uh, an increased focus. So we come to Inverness, and we launched just a year ago in September of last year. It's an old coal mining town. Uh, but now we have the championship golf courses right on top of the old mine on the front of the ocean. So if you're into golf, Cabot Links, Cabot Cliffs, amazing golf courses. I caddied there last year part-time. Uh, the town, uh, again, tremendous brokenness, uh, uh, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, uh, just a town of complete brokenness and hopelessness. Um, you know, one of the young men that I know who's a believer, he told me that growing up, he's from Shetty Camp. You know, he says, in Shetty Camp, he says, our parents, even though they didn't know the Lord, taught us, you know, certain behaviors. And he says, for example, he says, they taught us, you don't go out and get drunk. You don't go out and take drugs. You don't do that. But he says, we knew that if we wanted to party, we go to Inverness because the parents there don't care. And you will come to this town and you will see kids all over the streets all the time, 1030 at night, 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, walking the streets, doing nothing except getting into trouble. It's a strange place. And yet, with the golf courses coming in, we're now seeing a, a turnaround. There's a huge investment coming into the town. A lot of people from outside are coming in, and we're actually seeing houses being constructed for the first time in probably 30 or 40 years. It's, it's totally changing the face of this town, but it's a town of brokenness. And a lot of people, even when we first came to Inverness, were like, really? Ugh, that's not going to work. <laughs> you know, people had really given up on this town. But Pierre has shared the gospel here for 30 years. Uh, Bible study was started about two or three years ago in the home of a Christian in the town, and that was held every week, uh, a home Bible study. In 2014, there's a young man over at Marguerite named Scott McPhail, and he started a youth outreach at the high school uh, in the gymnasium there, and we can talk more about that in a minute. Uh, we began, they began to do a food program for needy families. So they would collect money and, and food and take that to low-income families in this town who needed help with groceries. 
And then I was called in April of 2015 to come. When I, when I, um, it's, it's a bit of a long story. We don't have time for that this morning, but I will tell you that I was invited to come to Cape Breton in the fall of 2014, and my first response was, no, I can't do that. I, I, I can't do that. Uh, I don't want to do that. I can't do that. <clears throat> and so we said no uh, to that invitation. And yet the Lord made it very clear to us over the next six months that that is, in fact, where we were going to be going. <laughs> And so we arrived in April of 2015, uh, but we didn't launch officially until September of that year. And that was good for us because we had a chance to, uh, you know, really get to know the people of the area, get to know the home church, make really good relationships, and really prepare well for when we officially launched this church. Um, again, it had just kind of reached the point where there was a core group meeting, but they needed a laborer to come in and to just carry this work forward. Uh, because again, you can only support so many launches. So uh, we had our first convert in January of 2016. Uh, I know uh, Ken has met that man over at the Men's Conference of PEI a few weeks ago, Mark McCachran. Uh, well known, uh, well known in the town uh, as one of the worst alcoholics in the town, and he's been transformed. He uh, he first came to us in August of last year. We were having a home Bible study before we launched the church, and uh, he showed up one night. One of our other guys is a recovered alcoholic, and. Uh, forgive me, and brought him out uh, to our Bible study one night. And after the study, he said to me, he says, man, like I just really, yeah, it's really good what I'm hearing here, and I can feel the love. But we, you know, he, we asked him that night, do you want to get saved? He says, no, I'm not ready for that yet. And then we lost track of him. We, we saw he went, he went out and uh, got in big trouble with the law, spent the next three or four months in jail. He came back to us um, right around Christmas time, and on the 19th of January, after Bible study, gave his heart to Christ. And the Lord has transformed him. And so we like to talk about Mark. We baptized him just four weeks ago, right here on this beach, in front of a big crowd of people. Praise the Lord. Um, we're actually moving into a new location uh, a week from today. Uh, we've been meeting on Sunday nights during our first year of launch. We're going to be going to Sunday mornings, uh, offering Sunday school in a new location, which actually has this view. Um, so it's not bad. <laughs> it's not bad. So we are growing. We started with about 19. We're up to over 30, and we have lots of visitors. Uh, we have uh, another alcoholic man who's been coming out the last three or four weeks uh, faithfully and has told me that he desperately needs a change in his life. And so uh, we're just very excited about that, about what the Lord is doing in this town. <clears throat> uh, this, our church is, is ready for 50% self-sufficiency in one year, and so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, we're planning to reach into Port Hood. We don't want to stop. You know, we could easily sit back and say, well, you know, we're a church plant. We have a lot to focus on here. Let's just focus on ourselves and build this thing. But really, we have to keep going. We just have to keep going. There's so many people. There's so many that don't know the Lord, and there is no churches around. There is no church in Port Hood. There's no church beyond us all the way back to the coast, an hour's drive. There's nothing. There's no witness. We have to keep moving. And you know that's part of, um, uh, that, that's, that's a tough thing for us as the Lord's people sometime, you know. And, you know, as we think about uh, expanding, as we think about reaching out, sometimes we're going to have to be willing to give up some of our people to do that. 
And that, that hurts. You know, we don't want to let that guy go or that woman go because they're key here. They're essential here. And yet if we're going to continue to reach people, we're going to have to commit them to the, to the call of the Lord on their life and let them get out there where the Lord's calling them to see the, the Lord's uh, work go forward. Uh, we've had a lot of support from different organizations that believe in what we're doing uh, for evangelism. Uh, for example, we did, um, last fall, we did a gospel calendar project and I got that idea from uh, the Coonies over in Ireland. I don't know if you know them. They're, they're assembly missionaries in Ireland that we spent time with. And they hand out calendars every year. So we got this idea, and we just started taking pictures of Cape Breton with our iPhones, and we made them into these beautiful calendars. And, um, but we needed some money to, to do that, and uh, you know we received some support. For, I think it was about $1,800 project to print 500 of these calendars, scripture texts superimposed over pictures like this how to be saved at the back of the calendar. And we got those into 476 homes last December. And so praise the Lord. You know, you need help from outside um, other churches and other groups to help us because we don't have the resources ourselves. You know, it's, it's key, those partnerships. And our focus in this town is, is, is trying to show God's love through good works. Um, you know, uh, we have learned in Inverness, you know, people are very wary, especially of born-again people, uh, uh, very wary. Uh, we probably have 98% Catholic population culturally, uh, and so they need to see uh, this faith in action, that it's not just some kind of empty words. And so this has been our approach. And, you know, like I say, we have done uh, community dinners, and we have the food program, and, and we try to really reach into people's lives in practical ways to demonstrate that we are there to serve them and to show them the love of God. I remember last summer, we had a, one of the men who comes to this church, he called me on the phone, he says, Mark, I'm reading the paper, and there's a family in town that's house is going to be foreclosed for back taxes. I, I guess they publish a list. And they give you the name and the address, and the amount owing was only something like $600 but they were going to foreclose. He says, surely we can do something about this. So I got in the car, and I drove over, and I went to the door, and I just introduced myself. You know, I'm a stranger. I'm sorry. I know this is a tough situation for you, but here's who we are. We're Christians. We're believers. We don't want to see you lose your house. We're going to pay that tax bill for you. Well, at that, I mean, she, she just broke down. I mean, she didn't know how to respond to that, you know? And, um, but praise the Lord, she actually she said to me, she says, well, we really appreciate that, but we actually did, did get it paid ourselves. So she didn't take anything from us. But that's the kind of thing that we want to do in this town, right? And so that's what we have done. This summer, we had a team up from uh, South Carolina that uh, really want to see Cape Breton one for the Lord. And so it's a large church in South Carolina, I think 600 people. <laughs> I tell people, you know, in Cape Breton, if you had 100 people in your church, you're a megachurch. <laughs> Definitely megachurch status. <laughs> anyway, these folks are committed. They sent a man up last October for five days to just get to meet us and see what's going on and how could they partner. So this summer they came up with uh, a lot of money and a lot of people, and we did two building projects in the town. I should have brought some pictures that I never even thought to do that, um, the before and after. So we, we found two people in town, two families in town. In the first case, it was a lady with uh, MS in a wheelchair, lost her husband a year ago. I'm not making this up. Uh, has home care because her MS is bad enough. She can't cook all of her meals. And she needed a deck and her ramp fix for the wheelchair. She had no place to sit out in front of her house. So we went to that house and we ripped down the old structure and built this beautiful, big, massive deck on the front of her house, painted it all beautifully, did it all in one day. We had a team like of 11 people. 
And, uh, you know, she was in tears, you know, uh, over that whole thing. She couldn't believe that we would, I mean, when I first went to get the approval of this project and I met her in the house, I I shared, I said, ma'am, I said, I've been given your name by a nurse, a nurse who's a Christian at Marguerite. And um, I said, here's what we'd like to do for you. And she's like, really? And I said, yeah. I said, and it's not going to cost you anything. We're going to take care of everything for you. And the nurse who was there preparing her lunch was just like wide-eyed, you know. She couldn't believe what she was hearing. When we showed up for the job a, a month later, she, I guess she didn't understand. She says, well, how much is this going to cost me again? Like, I, I have to buy materials, right? I said, no, you, this isn't going to cost you anything. And she was completely blown away. While we were there, we met her family. They, they were there, and there was a couple of teen girls from the U.S. that saw her grandchildren riding rusty, broken-down old bikes. They went, drove down to Port Hawkesbury, because we have to drive an hour to buy stuff. Um, <laughs> and they bought these kids brand new bikes. I mean, it was just incredible, right? Then we went to another house uh, that that the whole, most of the the house had no siding, hadn't had siding for years. We sided the house. We put new windows, new covering, new everything. You know, incredible. So later that week, uh, we like to do something in Inverness called the Gospel Car Wash. And here's something that you guys could actually do, or maybe even do right here. I don't know if you have space for it. I learned this in, in North Carolina on a gospel outreach with Jabe Nicholson in 2012. It's not my idea. That's all I mean by that. You put a sign out front, as we do, and it says, a car wash, $1. People come in, you have the young people wash the cars, and when they're done, I walk up to the window and I hand them a loony. And I say, here's your dollar, your car's washed now. And now you watch the reaction on people's faces. They do not know what to do. Some of them have 5 or $20. They think it's a fundraiser for the young people, for the high school, for, you know, the young people are doing something, so I'll go get my car washed and I'll donate. Um, uh, but no, we're paying you. And here's, here's a typical response. I had a, a German man uh, get out of the car. We're talking. He has no idea what's coming. Just talking. And I, and I looked, his car's almost done. I said, well, I guess your car's almost done. Here's your dollar. What is this? I said, here's your dollar. It's a, it's a $1 car wash. No, I pay for the car wash. And I said, sir, no, you're not. Yes, I am. He was getting angry with me. Um, and he towered over me. Um, I said, sir, it is my car wash. And I didn't say which way the dollar is going. I'm paying you. And with that, he melted. And, and, and as we talked, everybody gets the gospel of John. And we explained to them God's free gift a dirty car washed by people who did all the work for you. All you have to do is receive it. It's a simple illustration. And you wouldn't believe the reaction of people. And he finally said to me, he says, you know, he says, I haven't been to church in years, and that's not right. Through a simple little $1 car wash. It doesn't cost much. It costs 50 bucks to pay people a dollar to wash their car. Anyway, after the project this week, this was the last week of June, I had one of the local firefighters say to me, we washed his car. He says, are you the guys that fixed John's house? And I said, yes, we are. And he says, man, that's good. And that's the impact we want to have on this town, that people understand that the Christians are different than what they're used to. These are, we're trying to reach people through good works. So here's some considerations. David will appreciate this picture. It's where his people are from. (laughs) Culture and religion. We talked a little bit about that. We live in a heavily Catholic region. We do not attack the Catholic Church. We do not speak about the Catholic Church. We have a good news message to perform, uh, to, to share. 
Uh, I was speaking with a couple of ladies last summer, and they asked me, they said, well, are you working with the current church in town, meaning the Catholic Church? And I said, well, no, ma'am, we're not. We're independent. I said, but we are not here to fight with any church. We're here to proclaim good news. And so we focus on the truth. Jesus said, or the Word of God says, that we are to preach Christ and Him crucified. That's what we preach. And so we do not attack our Catholic friends for their religion. We'll let the Lord deal with that in his own time and his own way. We'd be respectful of the people that we're, we're working with here. Community and relationships are huge. The people there are very relational. Um, the Lord actually kept us out of the town for the first year. We just moved in in June. Uh, prior to that, we were living in Marguerite. Um, but since we've moved into the town, uh, people just treat us completely different because now we're one of them. And that changes everything in, in Cape Breton. They want to see, are you there for the long term? Are you going to be part of this community, part of this, our lives? Or are you just blowing through town? Um, again, partnerships with churches is key as we try to reach out and reach the island. Uh, we couldn't do it without a lot of support uh, coming in to help us with all of these projects. We don't have the resources. This team from the States brought 11,000 US dollars and they told me for those home projects, they said, Mark, there is no budget. Whatever we spend, we will spend. I mean, this is the kind of support. We could never do that as a little tiny church plant in the town of Inverness. We could never impact the town. And so we need uh, outsiders to help us with that kind of impact. And they're so excited. I just had a, um, a FaceTime with one of the men there three days ago, and they're already planning for next year. They're going twice as big. He said they're going to bring at least 15 teenagers, not including the adults. And again, they want to go really big on the projects. You know, now a church of 600 people, they probably have a good budget, you know. <laughs> but we praise God for that. Keys to success. People say, what's your strategy? Really, it's just to follow the Lord. And prayer is the key, beloved. There's a great book called Power Through Prayer by E.M. Bounds. I would highly encourage you to get a hold of it. You can get it on iBooks for 99 cents. It's an old book. It was written a long time ago. It's a short book, and it will challenge you. But, you know, we need to recover prayer in our lives personally as the Lord's people and as a church. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. We need to wait on the Lord, and we, uh, we cry out to God every week. We get together every week, and we spend several hours on our knees, crying out to God for this island. And we pray for revival to begin here. We only have 145,000 people, but we pray for thousands to be saved, and we pray for revival. Why can it not begin in the Maritimes? Why does it have to be Toronto? But we need to be a praying people and crying out to God to do something and then to take up our responsibility. Prayer. We do have a vision, of course, that's to reach the island, but we do have a strategy, and that helps. You know, we have a goal. We're reaching around certain communities, and it's, it's, you know, we do have that ahead of us. We can't do it without actually reaching out to people. You know, it's, it's, it, we praise the Lord to preach the gospel in our buildings. Yes, wonderful. Praise God. We do, I do that uh, because we have visitors. But not many people will come into our building anymore. We have to find ways to reach out and, and, and touch people all around us. And that doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, I know I, I've met John Wells and Kirk Hubick and praise God for guys like that and others who gather with them and, and go to the streets. There's, there's a million different ways to reach people. But we have to live an intentional life that way. We have to say, Lord, how would you have me to reach someone? Who would you have me to reach today? If I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, today I'm praying for an opportunity and I live my life that day intentionally, that will change everything compared to if I'd never think about it. 
And if I never am, if I'm not asking the Lord to give me those opportunities. And it could be something as simple as mowing your neighbor's grass. Maybe they're ill this week. Maybe they're away. And they didn't ask you to mow. They're on vacation. They're in Unterrible. And you could maybe mow their grass for them. That might touch their heart. We've seen that in the town of Inverness. Just mowing a lawn opens up doors to pray with people. Maybe somebody that you know of that you don't even like very well is in the hospital and you could go visit them. Uh, we ha- we, I've been praying with a man. He came over just because we visited him in the hospital. We barely knew him. And he was so touched by the fact that we would do that. And as he was sitting at my table, I said, Ed, can I pray with you? He says, yes, of course you can. How can we reach people? We have to actually reach out. And we're going to talk about a scripture verse here in a minute to that effect. But we have to really be challenged here, I think, as the Lord's people, both personally and as churches, how we actually, what is our strategy for reaching the lost all around us? We need to do something. We can't just... Well, it's kind of like what we heard at the men's conference uh, three weeks ago. We were challenged. Ken was there. And the, the preacher was Danny Dugas. <laughs> I won't try to repeat <laughs> Danny's. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, Danny really challenged us as men, right? And he reminded us that the Lord didn't save us so that we could sit in a nice, in a nice pew every week. But rather that we might go out and do something for Christ. We do want to sit in the pew and gather together and worship the Lord together. But then we need to actually get up and do something. Okay, prayer requests. Um, This is up at White Point. Uh, That many will be saved. We're praying for revival, nothing short of it. You know, I was challenged on this a few years ago in the States by Jabe Nicholson, and we were sitting there one night, well, sorry, in the mornings, he would address the team before we went out for the day, and he says, why is it, beloved, that when we pray, we pray for one person to be saved, and we're satisfied with that. And we might even be satisfied if nobody gets saved because we're not really expecting it anyway. He says, why don't we pray for two? How about 10? How about 100? And that really began to change my heart as I thought about that. And that's the way we pray in Cape Breton. We pray for revival. We pray for that many will be saved. And in this past year alone, between our four churches, we have baptized more than 20 people. And we've had at least five, no, uh, I'd say closer to 10 conversions in Cape Breton. Praise the Lord. Laborers. We need laborers. We cry out for laborers in Cape Breton because we are an unreached region. There are not churches in these towns. There's not Christians there who can reach out. We need people to actually go in there with purpose to reach these communities. And like I say, we can go in there and do a short work. I can drive up the coast two hours and spend a few days there, but then I got to go home. And there's nobody there to work with the people. And so we pray for laborers, but we, we do so according to Mark 10 and verse 2, which is ask the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. I remember meeting with Garnet Cooney in Ireland. We were over there uh, three years ago. And, and he said to me, Mark, he says, we, we could really use some help in Ireland, but I, I've stopped asking people to come. And I just cry out to God to send somebody to us. And so we asked the Lord to send laborers to Cape Breton Island. Uh, we need the Lord's continued leading and blessing. And we need strength and boldness for those of us that are there to keep going for him. Here's what I want to consider. Um, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? I am all for relational evangelism. I believe in friendship evangelism. That's what we do. But friends and beloved, if we don't ever actually verbalize the gospel, they're not going to get saved just because we love them. We need to love them. We need to, you know, love them through good works. But if we never actually speak the truth to them, they will how are they going to hear it if they've never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? This is the Lord's way. It's through the foolishness of preaching 
the foolishness of sharing that word that people are saved by the transforming power of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And so that's a challenge to us as the Lord's people. How are they ever going to hear? You know, I remember it for years, um, and I, I tend to be emotional, as you can tell. This, this one might really set me off. But for years, I refused to go to family gatherings on my wife's side of the family because they drink and carry on. And I, I'm too righteous for that, you see? I'm a very proper Christian. I don't, I don't attend stuff like that. And so, no, I'm not going to that. The real reason I didn't go to that is because I was scared and ashamed of my faith. And then, a few years ago, my wife's brother took his life. And it struck me that if I am not going to speak into these li the lives of these people, who will? I'm a family member. They won't reject me. I can go to that picnic. I don't have to get drunk with them. And I'd missed years of opportunity because I'm so righteous and actually just really ashamed and afraid. The Lord help us. How shall they hear without a preacher? And then, of course, the challenge that the Lord gives us. Everyone who has left houses or brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, wives or children or lands for my namesake shall receive a hundredfold and eternal life. You know, there's parts of Canada, Cape Breton Island is just one of them, that are unreached for the gospel. There's parts of this world that are unreached for Christ. And yet I am content to sit right where I am and never budge because I want to live here. And this was a huge one for Janet and I as we considered coming to Cape Breton. As I told you, we originally said no. Certainly one of the reasons is we have, we have four adult children. We have grandchildren in Ontario. We're close to our kids. Sure. I mean, it's very normal and reasonable. My, even my sister would say to me, what are you going to Cape Breton for? You have grandchildren here. It's ridiculous. And yet the Lord says, I mean, if nobody is willing to count the cost and go, who's going to go? And so we need this call upon our lives. And so I would challenge you, if you've ever felt the Lord calling you to do something, to, to really pray about that, really consider that before the Lord. Would he have you to go somewhere that you really don't want to go? I didn't want to go to Cape Breton. But the Lord made it very clear, and, and he had to do some tough things in my life to really get my attention, that that's where he wanted us to go. We praise God now, though. I mean, there's no burden anymore. Once we arrived there and we felt the call of God in our life, it's, it's, a, it's a privilege. I, I pinched myself. And I say, Lord, how can it be that, that I should be so privileged to serve you in this incredibly beautiful part of the world? Praise God, you know? But it's not about where I want to live or where my family is located. If I am truly a follower of Christ, then my life is his. And it is his to direct at his pleasure. As we considered this morning, as Jesus would say, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve to give his life a ransom for many. And we are followers of Jesus Christ who left the glories of heaven and came into his sinful, broken creation and laid down his life for others because of love. And so may the Lord help us. Uh, again, I just want us to be encouraged that the Lord is doing things in Cape Breton. Uh, churches are being established here where they weren't there just five years ago. And now where there was one, there's now four. And each congregation is growing and seeing people saved. Not hundreds yet, not thousands, but we just believe the Lord's going to do that as we rely on him and as we're faithful to him. And it can happen, even here in Canada and even here in Dartmouth. Now, I don't know much about Dartmouth and Halifax, except it's a great big city compared to where I live. And it's got a Costco, which I appreciate. <laughs> <coughs> but you know what? Um, 
the Lord will advance his church, beloved. And as we cry out to him to do things, he will answer as we wait on him and as we follow his lead, as we're disciples of the Lord Jesus and give ourselves wholly to his service, he can do anything. And, he, and those strongholds, the town of Inverness, which was so hard for so many years and people said it couldn't be done, the Lord is there and he's establishing his name. His name, not ours. That's irrelevant. And those strongholds, he is pushing back. And he is demonstrating that he can do anything. Just, you know, thinking about um, the, the importance of sharing the gospel, just very quickly, um, I, th- I can't remember just off the top of my head. Hezekiah, I know the story, but I'm just trying to remember the reference. It's in one of the Chronicles, chapter 30, I believe. Uh, Hezekiah, as you know, was a good and godly king. And, and Hezekiah um, decided one day that he wanted to celebrate the Passover. And uh, he, uh, he said, you know what, we need to celebrate the Passover. Uh, we haven't done this for generations in Israel, and, and he wanted to do that to honor the Lord. So he called for the Passover to be held. Uh, it was held at the wrong time of year. It was held on the wrong day. People were not consecrated or ready for it. And yet, when Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, the Lord accepted it because their hearts were right before him. But prior to that feast, Hezekiah said, you know, it's not right that we here in Judah should celebrate this alone. All the Lord's people from Israel should come to this feast and celebrate this together. We're brothers and we're the people of God. And so Hezekiah sent messengers as far as Dan into the north and all throughout the land, inviting them to come to the feast. But the scriptures tell us that as the the messengers went, here is the message they brought. Repent. And turn back to the Lord your God. Repent and turn back to the Lord your God and come down and celebrate the Passover with us in Jerusalem as the Lord has required of us in the law. The scripture goes on to say that many mocked, many laughed, and many scorned them. And we would say, well, I guess their ministry wasn't very effective. They went out throughout all the land into the far reaches preaching that people should repent and come back to the Lord. But it says, but some came from every tribe. Some came. What was the difference? The difference was that messengers went. Messengers went with a message of repentance and a faith towards God. And because those messengers went, some people responded and came to Christ. This is our situation in Cape Breton. We need people to reach the lost. And as we go out and share the gospel, there are people, it's not the case, um, it's not the case that because it's 2016, nobody's interested anymore. There are all kinds of people out there, all around us that are broken and that are seeking for answers. Yes, there's many who are, are not, that is true. But there's also many that are. The difference will be is if we find them, if we go out in the Lord's name and we give them that good news that they can respond to. And may the Lord help us to be as Hezekiah's men, messengers who bear good news and good tidings. And may the Lord just encourage us that in in 2016, he's still doing things. He's saving people all over this world. Praise the Lord. It's not hopeless. You know, as Jabe Nicholson reminded me in 2012, beloved, we are on the winning team. God does not lose anything that he does. And we are with him. And his kingdom will prevail. Praise the Lord. God will win. And his glory will be revealed. And we want to take what little time we have on this earth to partner with him and to go with him into the far reaches. And, you know, hey, if any of you are interested in coming to Cape Breton, talk to me. (laughs) We would covet you. But, you know, may the Lord help us to consider our part in God's kingdom. And I guess I'll just leave it there and we'll close in prayer. 
Father, we just thank you this morning that you are doing things in this world, that you're saving people, Lord, in Cape Breton Island, in Nova Scotia, Lord, in the far reaches of this world. Father, we hear of stories of people being saved, even in, in tight Muslim countries, and we praise you for this, Lord. You're reaching people everywhere, and God calling many to, your, to yourself, and we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the glorious gospel, and we thank you, Lord, for saving us, Lord. Remind us today, Lord, of the price of our salvation. And remind us, Lord, to, of our uh, responsibility before you. Encourage us, Lord. You know our fears. You know our limitations. Lord, you know our weakness. But praise you that you work through our weaknesses. Lord, your power is made perfect in our weakness. And so, God, we come to you in that weakness, in that frailty this morning. And we ask, Lord, that you would do something in our hearts, that you would raise us up, Lord. And that you would uh, just, uh, just give us this incredible privilege, Lord, to be your ambassadors. And, Father, would you give us someone, even today, Lord, to share with, um, Lord, that is seeking you. Lord, bring us to that intersection with that person's life. And Father, we just pray. Lord, I ask your blessing on Northbrook and on all your people who gather here. Lord, thank you for the time we can share together today. Lord, encourage them, build them up. Father, establish them here. Lord, do great things. Lord, save many people in this community. Lord, as they begin their kids' club, Father, I pray that you'll bring many new kids out this fall. And Lord, that it will impact mothers and fathers and, and, and families. And grandparents, Lord, as they reach out into this community, oh God, we pray for an outpouring of the Spirit of God, that Lord, you would save many, many people. And Lord, we'll give you all the glory, because it is your work. And Lord, we have no credit. Uh, Lord, we will cast our crowns at your feet where they belong. Lord, we bless you. And so Father, we just thank you for the time we've been able to share together today. Lord, we thank you for the food that we can enjoy, the fellowship, Lord, this afternoon. And I just pray, oh God, that you would... Um, just bless our time together, and Father, move in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.